Live from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank, the bank that specializes in understanding you. It's time for North Fulton Business Radio. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of North Fulton Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and folks, we are broadcasting from inside Renaissance Bank in beautiful Alpharetta. And if you're looking for a bank that's one of the top 10 in the United States, and that's not just my opinion, although it is my opinion, but it's not just my opinion. That's the opinion of folks that were surveyed by Forbes magazine. Yes, Forbes magazine in a survey they did of banks nationwide found that Renaissance is one of the top 10 in the country. And if you're looking for a bank that's big enough to handle pretty much any need you can throw at them, but small enough to do it in a personal way. That's what I found at Renaissance Bank, and I think you will too. So go to renaissancebank.com, find one of their local offices, and give them a call. And I think you'll be glad you did. Renaissance Bank, understanding you, member FDIC. Now I want to welcome old friend Brock Coles is with us, folks. Uh, Back with us again, and he's with Great Big Ideas. Brock, welcome back. John, great to see you. Great, Always great to see you. Um, yeah, I've been looking forward to this one. Let's uh, give everyone that doesn't know you an introduction to what you're up to at Great Big Ideas. Awesome. So like you said, my name is Brock Coles. I've been in the tech community here in Atlanta for uh, many years, uh, focused on entrepreneurs and startups and really helping them with intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a startup of myself uh, back in the late 90s. It sounds like a long time ago, but it doesn't really <laughs> feel that way. Right. My kids remind me, they're like, what? Late 90s? Yeah. You know, what was that? Right. right. But um, it was very successful um, and uh, we raised a lot of money and we put on NASDAQ, but along the way, um, we had way more ideas than we had money. So it forced us to become smart with intellectual property, and that's what I got involved in. So I've been mm. this hybrid engineer, um, patent agent for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, after my startup, I went to Coca-Cola, and I did the same thing there in R&D. We worked on a number of big projects and whatnot. In 2015, I decided that I'd go to the tech community. This is where my roots were. And um, for the last seven years, it's been awesome just helping entrepreneurs and startups uh, protect their ideas and um, uh, kind of unravel what they're working on and draft and prosecute patent applications for them. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Yeah, and and let's just tell people that one of those big ideas at Coke was one they see all the time now, right? The freestyle dispenser. When you first came on, it was not totally common, but now it's pretty common. Yeah. So when I started, we were down in the basement. That was one of the first projects that I worked on down mm-hmm. there. And the concept there um, was to take, um, you know, a hundred different boxes of ingredients mm-hmm. and um, get them into a very small machine to make a hundred different drinks. And that's what Freestyle became. Mm-hmm. It's the most awesome project that I was ever on. They mm-hmm. had about 200 of the smartest people you could imagine from all of the great companies had come to Coke to work on that project. Um, it had great sponsorship internally, which you know is super important there and everything. And you can see the result today. It really Mm -hmm. did change the industry um, um, in a dramatic way. And like I said, it was totally awesome to be part of that and to see that project come. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you are uh, working with companies on their patents. And when we say companies, we, we, we mean entrepreneurs that are sometimes solopreneurs or startups, what have you. What are the biggest uh, 
issues that you see or problems that these entrepreneurs have when it comes to thinking about their patents and their intellectual property? I would say um, I hear a number of um, um, heartbreak stories, right? Where people got involved too fast mm. um, with uh, lawyers mm-hmm. and ended up spending a lot of money on their their patent um, before they really figured out what their product was. And then as their product develops over time, the realization that they're now sort of patenting something that they're not making sets in and it's really hard for them to get that uh, get that back. So I would say um, I tell people all the time that their their patent budget should never be bigger than their project budget, um, and and it, that kind of keeps them keeps them in check. So, uh, the a lot of them they understand a little about patents. I mean, I've looked on the internet and that type of thing. Um, a few maybe have tried them on their own, but most of the people that I meet are good at the idea portion of the design and really need help with uh, with the patent side of it. Mm-hmm. So. I tell them I like to join the journey. I like to be um, uh, bootstrapped with them um, on the patents, help them focus on conserving their uh, resources mm-hmm. on when their ideas are early, and then at the right time, drafting and filing the right kind of patents for them um, to, you know, to get the work done. So, Do you think that, um, I mean, I can certainly see how people would spend too much money with a lawyer real quickly, um, and there's some actually good reasons for that. Let's don't blame the lawyers for that, just just for that right we can come back to that but um do do people jump in too quickly thinking they've got property that needs protection um is that part of the problem just the fact that they're coming in too early thinking that way yeah i would say a couple things one is um and this i kind of caught me by surprise but i've heard it a number of times now and that is somebody has an idea maybe for a new app on a phone Mm -hmm. um they're not technical so the first thing they have to do is go get three or four people to work on it with them uh time goes by and suddenly now all these people think that they're the inventor on there and the real inventor of the idea has been lost so Mm. those people show up wanting to get some sort of protection to make sure that they, um, you know, are recognized as being the original inventor. Mm. Um, I'd say the other is they have an idea um, and they get started on a product development cycle. And like what usually happens on all product development cycles, it gets refined along the way and changed, maybe designed for manufacturing or they're going to have it made overseas in high volume and that changes the design. But in that, just that time period, you know, um, it makes it look like a different product, right? That does mm-hmm. the same thing and whatnot. So getting started too quick and kind of, you know, spending all your budget on your first version, uh, either emotionally or too early, right? Um, is uh, is the downfall. Uh, they they have what's called a provisional patent, and it's very inexpensive, and it's a great way to start for early ideas. And most of the entrepreneurs that I work with, that's sort of the recommendation, right? Spend a mm-hmm. little bit of money, protect your core idea. Um, it, it, uh, it lasts for a year, and so that's plenty of time typically to go through a product development cycle. You get a lot more um, visibility um, on your idea. See if you're still as excited about it in six months as you were on the day that you had it, right. um, that type of thing. Well, and and let's maybe folks don't want me to let the lawyers off the hook, but I'm going to try at least on part of this. Lawyers aren't there to tell you they're they're, they're basically there to do what you tell them to do when it comes to pursuing a patent, right? I mean, they're not the experts on how you ought to pursue it. 
that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't go to law school to learn that. So I tell people I'm an entrepreneur, right? And right. This is the lens I look through. And so yeah. this is my opinion. Um, I have worked for some law firms, and so I understand the model. The business model is different. They're, mm-hmm. they're a by-the-hour model. Mm-hmm. And the people that work there need to accomplish a certain number of hours a year in order to in order to fill that obligation, right? Right. Um, entrepreneurs, on the other hand, are a group of people that like to work as long as it takes to get a solution done, right? And so mm-hmm. already there's a little bit of a rub between, um, you know, somebody who wants you to spend a lot of time helping you think through the situation and somebody else who just sort of wants to, you know, bill for the next hour because that's their metric on there. And so I, I think the other hand too, like you mentioned, they like to receive a disclosure and then from a time period to, to maximize the time they're giving people, you know, just write about it. Um, yeah. Whereas like you say, a lot of times with the entrepreneurs, they sort of have breadcrumbs and napkins that they start with and they're great ideas, but they take a little time to sort of uh, mature the thinking around them and everything. So what I do is always low cost fixed fee. And that I think the way people budget, um, they can plan for an event, they can mm-hmm. budget for the event, they can execute that type of thing. And so by not counting hours and not counting time, it allows me to spend as much time as it takes to do the job right with them. And I think that's what makes the difference when it comes to a good quality application early on. I don't know if that model can be replicated, you know, for, for other people, but where I am in my journey with my career, yeah. there's a portion of it, just like yourself, it's sure. a give back yeah. um, on there and everything. And so I really enjoy helping other people have that entrepreneurial experience like I've had it. Now, you mentioned the the problem that entrepreneurs have when it comes to maybe overspending on the legal side. What, does it work the other way? I mean, have you seen uh, worked with entrepreneurs that they're really late to getting their prop intellectual property protected? Yeah, so you know you can be you can be late. There are there are um, you know some drop dead dates, particularly around when people begin to offer their products for sale mm-hmm. and and that type of stuff um, on there. I. I tell people that a provisional is a great way to start for an early idea. When you get to final uh, design drawings, it's a great chance to look to see if you can protect the design. One protects how it works. The other protects how it looks. And then when you really get to that one-year expiration date on your provisional, then it's time to uh, make the decision, right, whether Mm -hmm. you want to invest in um, a more expensive utility application, which is the kind of patents we see, right, that that issue on there and everything. But by then, they're usually down the road. They have great visibility as to what their design is they have either delivery or they have a window of when they're going to be commercializing it or that type of thing and so it begins to make sense to spend a little bit more time and a little bit more money on intellectual property because it begins to count more right it's an idea that's really going to be be commercialized so i would say the uh, not having a conversation about intellectual property early on is probably the pitfall because uh, a lot of people that might wait uh, they sort of get themselves out of that sequence and then it either does cost them a lot more or they end up giving up, you know, some sort of um, opportunity. Um, there are some some hiccups, you know, that you can run into, particularly around maybe believing a confidentiality agreement is a replacement for a patent, right? But we live in a we live in a first <laughs> right. to file world, you know? yeah. And right. So you know, somebody else can have that idea and be the first to file, and then it's a mess, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I'm laughing about confidentiality agreements because we know what those sometimes mean, right? Not nothing. But um, let's get back to that example you mentioned about the the person who has the, the idea for an app gets uh, hires developers, and then all of a sudden it gets a little screwy as to who's it's a mess. Yeah. 
Can that be solved with a simple contract? It might be. Yeah, yeah, it might be. Now, uh, how good are entrepreneurs early on good at contracts? Right? <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> there you but go. I'm just, I'm just saying it's, it's um, um, that resolution gets lost early on mm-hmm. in those examples. And there are others, right? You know, where, like you say, um, even when you work with a product developer or you work overseas, right? Uh, you know, to get those things done, all of those are signed to loose threads, right? You don't mm-hmm. necessarily know what's going to happen in those relationships in there. And like I say, when, you know, the solution might be to put put together a provisional application that's a couple hundred bucks. And then you really don't have to worry about that. You've documented, you know, that it's your idea and you're the inventor and that type of thing. It's a great way to start. And then, like I say, the contract thing is all bonus, right. Um, on there and it protects other things. Um, you know, but like I say, it's difficult to go back and kind of get to that first, um, you know, that, that first filing type of thing, um, on there. And uh, it's good. And there's lots of reasons. I've, I've recently worked with a group that um, was wanting to do um, uh, contracts, uh, grants. And so a lot of times if you do your patents first, then they belong to you. But if you get your grant money and then you do some patenting, you have to sort of give rights to the people who um, have given you the grant money, right? Particularly with the Small Business Association and any sort of government type thing. And so there's lots of reasons to like take that first step and to begin to protect your idea. It, if you're just not sure, right? Because you don't know what the next stone can't really see around the mm. next corner um, on there. And then, like you say, when they show up and it's downstream, it's it's uh, it's rough. The other is um, people who have ideas and they're employed um, and uh, they're wanting to work on the side or moonlighting, right? And they have an employer, essentially an employment agreement, right? That's mm-hmm. on there. That's another really mess, right? Uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to work through. So it's... Um, it's, that's why I love it. Everyone's different. Yeah, we folks. We were we Brock and I were laughing before we we started the show about uh, the reason folks don't want to come back to work. See, all these corporate chieftains think it's because nobody wants to work. These folks are actually at home working on other ideas at other companies, right? That's, that's, that's what, a, that's what that's they're a, doing. Yeah, they're zooming from nine to ten, and yeah. then they're they're working on their side gig from you know from noon to four. That's right. So wake up out there, corporate America. Uh, I'm sitting here chatting with Brock Coles, and he's uh, his company is Great Big Ideas. He's the owner, and he's a patent agent with uh, great big ideas. Um, so Brock, I want to, uh, a question about the tech community and then let's go non-tech for a second. First, the tech community, give your assessment of the North Fulton tech community and the state of ideas, I guess, as it yeah. were in the North, in, in our area here. I think it's uh, great. I won't tell you anything you don't already know. No, but, um, I think it's really great. And uh, we've got a really uh, dynamic group. It's very large. If you think about it, going all the way from Atlanta and Georgia tech and all of the incubators around here, um, all the way out to the suburbs here, um, you know, down, just around the corner here with, mm. um, uh, with the incubator by the fire station in, in Alpharetta. Um, it's really great and there's good quality people and there's a lot of people that have been in the tech community a very long time like yourself right that have mm-hmm. been like the continuity um, that, that, that's been there and so um, I've recently gone over and done the Friday morning entrepreneurs round circle over yeah. at the um, uh, at the innovation lab here in Alpharetta yeah. the ATDC uh, circle right, uh, and whatnot and every single time I go over there I bump into somebody that I haven't seen in a while um, and it's like a comfortable shoe right you yeah. can sort of pick up the conversation and go. And so I think the community is really, uh, is really awesome. 
And it's a lot of fun to work with, and it's very dynamic, and it's constantly changing, um, and it's growing. And there's been tremendous support, I think, you know, from as long as I've been in it, you know, to see it advance and to see it continue mm-hmm. and, and that type of thing. Um, it's just really it's just really good. It makes it easy um, where a lot of cities, I think, would be very difficult for an entrepreneur. Like, for instance, when I graduated in the University of Tennessee um, out in Chattanooga, um, there wasn't a tech community out there. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to do something entrepreneurial, I was faced with having to leave the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what I did. And unfortunately, I think that happens for a lot of cities, right? They breed this talent, they make it smart, mm-hmm. and then they let it exit to go benefit someplace else. But I think here in North Fulton, there's so many resources and so many businesses that people can find a place to come and connect and be part of and everything that I think a lot of that talent stays around here. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's important because, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it just keeps things moving, right? Yeah. It really keeps things moving. It feeds on itself, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the, the non-tech community question is, um, what, what this work you're doing opens you up to is, um, and we were talking about before we came on the air, um, the mompreneurs, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the folks that are at home, um, that are working on non-tech ideas, uh, products, you might call them gadgets or whatever, but right, that are, yeah. that are physical products that need some sort of intellectual property protection. I think the thing that I've learned about people, which is awesome, and I sort of discovered these entrepreneurs are my people, right? And mm-hmm. it's not, I, heard, I knew it all along, right? You know, mm-hmm. inside, but hearing other people's stories gives you that confirmation. I say that entrepreneurship has no um, age limit. I have met people that have covered the entire spectrum. Now, a lot of people have some sort of personal connection to their idea, right? It's um, um, either uh, maybe they had a medical problem themselves or they've mm-hmm. had somebody in their family, something that gave them that that spark that they needed to do something better. We were talking about the mompreneurs, right? right. Um, moms with young kids and, and the new gadgets they need for their kids and then being convinced that those gadgets would benefit other moms. I think is a common thread um, out there that, that I see. And it's happened in the restaurant business with people who own restaurants and then come back with new gadgets for restaurants and that type of thing. And it's a lot of fun, you know, to work with them and to see that journey and the risks that they take, um, you know, to work on their own ideas instead of settling for the safety of just, you know, working in, in whatever the environment that they're in is great. You know, we were talking about uh, budgeting. Um, you know, it's very dynamic. You know, if you're a mom in a young family and you have an idea and now you're trying to balance family and you're trying to balance kid and you're trying to balance your family budget and you're trying to do some sort of product development on there. I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, fun to watch and to be part of, to see how, how the different things work out. Um, I've got one uh, gentleman that I've worked with for a very long time. Um, on a medical product and he's very close to licensing it. Um, and he has been at it for several years mm. in order to, to do right. And it's just so much fun to see that journey all the conversations we've had. And he's had to make hard decisions about what the patent and what not the patent and everything else on there. And to see it so close to fruition, right. Just is, it's so exciting to be part of it. That's awesome. And you, and, and some of your work at Coke, it, it just occurs to me, has more in common with those folks, right. Than the tech side. I mean, because really, um, like the freestyle dispenser, right. I mean, the, the, 
I guess you wouldn't call those, uh, you, you would call that more of a product in a lot of ways, right? You know, it's both, right? Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's, it's both. I mean, from the technical side of it, it's the most complicated piece of equipment I've ever worked on. Yeah, and, of course. Um, you know, they, they went from, you know, um, putting ounces of, of concentrate into ounces of water to putting eyedroppers full of concentrate into ounces of water. It mm. just, it, the, the complexity is phenomenal. And the new problems that came up by doing that and then were ultimately solved is genius, right? By yeah. a whole bunch of smart people uh, to do it and to be part of it and to get the right patents for them at the same time, be great. Then on the other side is the marketing people, right? Who are just faced <laughs> with, you know, the person who stands in front of the machine and what sort of experience do they have? Maybe that fits more into the yeah. non-tech yeah. Uh, side of it, right? That's right. Ultimately, it's about just getting ice in your cup and then yeah. making your selection and that type of thing or interacting with your phone and, and that type of thing. But um, it's it goes it goes both ways um, yeah. on there, and there's definitely a lot of perspectives to look at on those big innovations. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's get a little more granular about um, – you mentioned several types – of patents. You mentioned a provisional patent, which that may be news to folks. I mean, because, you know, they, they may think that you either patent something or you don't. Right. Yeah. But, but what are the different types beyond provisional that you just defined earlier? What are the different types? So I would say there's two categories, right? You can protect how something works and you can protect how something looks okay. um, in there. So within protecting how something works, uh, there's two options. Uh, one option is a provisional application. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very low cost. Um, it's uh, an advanced version of putting your idea in an envelope and mailing it to yourself, right? Way back when yeah. right? that, people yeah. thought that was the way to do it, but it's not that, right? You you file it. Um, uh, we do full applications and and file them. You get filing dates. You get a patent pending status. Um, it expires in 12 months, though. So it, what it's doing is it's buying you time, and its low-cost nature allows you to um, to let it go. Mm-hmm. If you have a different idea or your idea changes or that type of thing with, with low loss, right. Um, right. on there, sometimes people will do one or two of those on a, on a product development cycle, just depending upon what happens, um, within 12 months. Um, if your idea is good, then people do a non-provisional application. And these are the ones that you, most of the time you see when you look up patents and that right. type of thing. Mm-hmm. They cost more because they take a lot of time to put together um, and they get examined and they ultimately mature into patents. And there is a way of connecting your non-provisional to your provisional so that you benefit from the filing date. So there's no time lost and there's a nice bridge there. Typically, you try to do those non-provisionals when you get further down your product development cycle and you can really begin to see your product and you know you're going to commercialize it and you can justify spending the extra time and money you know, to do it. Um, so that's on the how it works. Kind of in the middle of the product development cycle is the design patent on how it looks, right? And those are typically done with drawings. And a lot of the products that um, get done all have 3D CAD drawings on there. And so when you get to a final design, kind of in the middle of your product development cycle, it's a great opportunity to take a look and to see if you can protect the way something looks. Mm. Contours of a plate. um, I've done uh, wristbands and watches. I've done headphones. I've done um, all sorts of interesting designs on there because, you know, with computers, it's so easy to do those those 3D 
those 3D designs. The nice thing about it is you can take that CAD file and you can convert that into patent drawings and, and file there. So that's sort of kind of in the middle of the process. And from a cost perspective, the provisionals are the lowest, the design's kind of in the middle, and then the non-provisionals are the most um, on there. Um, I do on my website keep a bootstrap patenting guide that people can get. And I sort of break down those different types of patents and um, and what they go for, how much they cost, and, mm-hmm. um, and when's the right time to think about filing them, everything. So when people call me, I've just collected um, ideas in there, and um, it shows them how to search and gives them a little bit about what the contents are in a patent, and um, gives them a little cheat sheet in the back of it with has some sort of um, a list of the common ways that the patents are rejected, you know, mm-hmm. and some of the laws and some of the rules and stuff like that, just so they can get informed. Yeah, that's a real valuable resource, folks, and we'll, we'll remind folks here about this in a second, Brock, but just um, if you need to know it right now, it's gr8bigideas.com. You'll find it there, greatbigideas.com, gr8bigideas.com. So um, so you alluded to this a little earlier, but talk about how you help an entrepreneur uh, budget not just money but the time spent on this because that's a resource too that needs to be conserved so um i tell people that i'm um i'm available all the time for calls to talk Mm -hmm. about it i think that's the number one thing they can call me anytime text me uh send an email whatever it is because a lot of times those are uh, late night um uh worries that they have Mm -hmm. um or uh (laughs) concerns that they have and we can talk about them right away not all like late night but you know what i mean oh absolutely when you when you feel like you need an answer um yeah which is good or if they're working from eight to five right yeah and and I tell them that you know they can consider me to be part of their development team, right? So that um, you know if they're representing themselves to investors or they're representing themselves to other people, I'm more than happy to fill that spot on the bench um, uh, to, to to talk about IP and to mm-hmm. and and to play that role and everything. It's not something I charge for; it's just something I do because I think that's the right thing to do to sort of help build the foundation around that. Um, and, and like I say, usually intellectual property takes quite a bit of time. You know, it evolves over time and that type of thing. And so I start out there and then um, my wife forces me to charge for applications. And I had to be just totally <laughs> upfront about that. She said, hey, look, if this is going to be a hobby, then, you know, yeah. so, um, but, but I, I have uh, whittled it down uh, to the lowest cost in each of those categories. And um, um, it, um, it, it can't be done cheaper and it can't be done better because mm-hmm. um, I take as much time as it takes to get those applications done. Mm. And I treat those applications um, like they're my own. Like I mm-hmm. was my own idea, working on my own idea. You know how when you work on your own stuff, you know, you really feel like you have a level of commitment to it, you know, that's, uh, that's there. And it's not to say that that a by-the-hour lawyer doesn't do the same thing. I'm just saying the model is different over yeah. there um, yeah. on there. And and part of it is like where I mentioned before, it's just where I am in my personal journey, right? You know, we've I've done those things uh, myself, and, um, and now I enjoy helping others um, yeah. that are there. That's part of it. And so it works out really good. I'll have to say 
Um, I love seeing the entrepreneurs online and having engaging conversations in other ways without me, but then um, saying something that I've talked to them about, right? Sort of passing along um, some sort of insight or some sort of nugget um, on there and everything. So you feel like, hey, that's great. Now here's a person that really understands the, you know, um, how this fits in their cycle and they've done a good job and they've protected their idea and now they're helping others kind of cultivate and do the same, same type of thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, Brock, I would love it if you, you don't have to mention names, of course, but I would love it as we close out the show, if you could maybe share a success story, a, a particular situation that you feel like your uh, work has been um, impactful, yeah, particularly impactful. So I'll go through some of the categories that I've worked on, okay. which are really interesting. I told you the medical thing to me is fascinating because it's a gentleman that I've met, I've got to know. Um, he had uh, a personal medical condition and he translated that into a product that solved the problem. And then he has doggedly for years worked to get that product um, licensed. Mm. And to, I worked with him um, uh, to do uh, patent applications. Um, he had started out in the by the hour uh, world um, and it didn't go so well. Um, and uh, But he retrenched and he and we worked on his ideas and the, and the way they, they turned out, final form and it's awesome. And so fingers crossed every day. It's a prayer. I just want him to close the deal because for an entrepreneur, that's the home run, right? Right. Is is to get to the thing. But I've worked in the restaurant business. I've worked in the construction business. Um, I'm uh, right now, the applications I'm working on, um, are adjustable furniture, um, on there. So it goes, it goes on and on. I've worked on, um, uh, devices for, uh, paralyzed people who've had strokes uh, just recently. Um, um, uh, um, uh, travel, like travel, uh, suitcase type of, uh, type of things. Mm. It just, every single one of them though, has a common thread and a linkage to the entrepreneur or the, or the company that's doing it right. They have a personal journey tied into whatever it is that they've done. They've seen something and they've analyzed the problem and, um, and then they're ready to go, right? This idea is better than maybe some of the other ideas they've had. It's gotten to the point where they're ready to spend time and effort to try to, to try to get it developed. So, um, it's awesome. I've done lanterns. I've done, um, you know, you name it. It's, it pops up just one after another. I've done things for mobile phones. I've done applications, um, on phones. Um, I've worked with this really great artificial intelligence company, uh, that I met at Coke, uh, the entrepreneurs I met at Coke many, many years ago, mm. um, that are over in Australia. And so it's just been fun, right? Just each one's a little bit different, little kind of challenge, kind of test your own skills, um, on there. And, um, it's great. I've worked with a number of my corporate friends mm-hmm. who have retired out of corporate with their ideas yep. and then have pursued their ideas on their own, um, on their right. And so, you know, after maybe many, many years in the matrix trying to get those ideas done that they mm-hmm. couldn't do, now they're on their own and they, they continue to work on their ideas. And so it just really is neat to see all ages, all different kinds of people, all different backgrounds, you know, um, you know, just working on their stuff. Wow. What great work from uh, Brock Coles, folks. Great big ideas, greatbigideas.com. Brock, this has been great. Um, as usual, you, you're uh, ringing the bell. Thanks for all the great work you do. We appreciate you and uh, the leadership you show in this community. Before we let you go, though, uh, for those that have heard something that makes them want to be in touch, let's uh, tell them how they can find you. 
Be great. You can find me on my website, um, uh, greatbigideas.com, G-R and the number eight, B-I-G-I-D-E-A-S.com. Um, if you wanted to send me uh, an email, um, you can send it to brock at greatbigideas.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can do a search and find me. Uh, it comes up as H. Brock Coles on, on LinkedIn. But um, those are really the only different ways that I monitor communications, if you will, um, that are there. But um, I'd love to work on your ideas with you, help you uh, patent it. I didn't mention it, um, but um, I do work with a colleague that came out of Coke um, for trademarks. And so he does oh. trademark registrations, and he does them the same way uh, that I do with patents in a bootstrap fashion. Everything We've done quite a few of them. He's a really great guy um, and likes to like listen and uh, try to understand what the entrepreneurs are doing and help them do uh, trademark registrations, uh, which is another form of intellectual property that's important to them uh, to do. So, Yeah, absolutely. Terrific. Brock Coles, folks, great big ideas. Brock, thank you again for coming on. Great. Thanks, John, for having me. Absolutely. Hey, folks, just a uh, quick reminder. If you are looking for a better team building experience for your uh, corporate team, uh, for your group, you want something that does not involve the potential of broken ankles. I've got an idea that involves heading on over to ANS Culinary Concepts. They're an award-winning culinary studio in the Johns Creek area. And yes, they do, as you might imagine, corporate catering. Uh, they've got other private group events that they do, but they also do corporate team building. And just imagine your team standing around a stainless steel table and, um, enjoying each other and seasoning meat and cutting up vegetables and then cooking together and eating what you uh, cook. It's a lot of fun. So call executive chef Andrew Traub at 678-336-9196 or go to asculinaryconcepts.com for more information. I think you'll be glad you did. And folks, North Fulton Business Radio is on all the major podcast apps. You can find the show by searching North Fulton Business Radio uh, using that search term. And we're coming up on show number 500, so we're pretty excited about that, excited about that milestone, and uh, we're going to celebrate big on that. So we couldn't have gotten here without your support, so thank you for your support. And if you haven't subscribed to the show, we'd be honored if you would do that. Uh, we'd be most appreciative, though, if you would share the show. Um, we're here to celebrate entrepreneurs, business leaders, and the great work that they do. Uh, men and women, uh, uh, entrepreneurs like Brock, who have done great work, and you help us by helping them because we're interested in helping them. So if you could help them, uh, we would be greatly appreciative of that, uh, of that work by sharing the show. So for my guest, Brock Coles, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on North Fulton Business Radio.